Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who would like to remind you that the garage is gladiator territory, so act accordingly. Here is the captain. Are you not entertained? It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Sip and Go Naked by the fantastic team of brewers over at the Tamarack Brewing Company in beautiful Lakeside, Montana. This is an unfiltered wheat ale with apricot notes that make this one delicious and refreshing beer. This one is perfect for hot and cold days and now is available year-round from the good folks over at Tamarack. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five and we'd like to give some praise and thank you to our friends that helped us out with this week's beer fun first up cheers to pulley in northern virginia and a big we like your jib to cat in montreal canada next here's a cheers to shelby s in iowa and a big shout out to del mar central point oregon next captain we have a shout to leah s in loveland ohio and last but certainly not least We give a big thank you to Kelly and Emily from the great state of Texas. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they helped us out with this week's beer fund. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram, at True Crime Garage. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. writer, blogger, researcher, and podcast host. He co-hosts the true crime podcast, Criminology. He has extensively researched and consulted on the Zodiac Killer and Golden State Killer cases. The Morph, as he is often affectionately referred to as, is an expert on all things Zodiac Killer and all things Golden State Killer. So, Mike, welcome to the garage. And I want to start off by asking you, why are those two cases so important to you. You've spent years researching both. Why those cases? Well, thanks off uh, for inviting me to come on. It's it's a pleasure. And uh, you guys are one of the people, one of the teams that inspired me to become a podcaster. So thank you for that. The Zodiac case, I I started out on actually reading about it in high school. I was one of those weird teenagers in the 80s that just the name Zodiac and the persona that came with it 
I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So I had a book on serial killers that I read, and then I got the book Zodiac by Robert Graysmith. You know, from there, I just read it and did a book report on it. And the the teacher wasn't too happy that I picked that as a subject to write a book report on. But, you know, something just the sinister aspect of, of that case just grabbed me. And the fact that someone would call themselves Zodiac and write letters to the press and then attack people wearing an executioner's hood just really reeled me in. And I just it sort of stuck and grew up watching unsolved mysteries and stuff like that. But the, the Zodiac was one thing that really, really I attached to and, and stuck with. Before the Golden State Killer ears ons, you know, the case with so many names was solved. Joseph James D'Angelo has been arrested, a man who is I take a lot of joy out of seeing how frail he looks these days. Hopefully his time is coming to an end soon. He's like 75 or so years old. When you started diving into the Golden State Killer case, was that you kind of looking for some more Zodiac cases? I mean, Zodiac claimed that he would go on to kill and kill again, and he kept taunting us, sending communications with a growing number on it. Were you look looking for additional Zodiac cases? Is that what led you to Golden State Killer? Not really. There, the Golden State Killer before the East Area Rapist and Iran's the thousand names he had. I, I was aware of the case because of some other researchers that thought they might be connected to the Zodiac case. I never did. They're two different kinds of killers in their MO and, and just totally in opposite ends of the spectrum. But I was aware of the case and I used to communicate an email back and forth with the late Michelle McNamara, who obviously wrote a pretty impactful book on the Golden State Killer case. And she had reached out and asked if I had any interest in poking around in the Golden State Killer case. And I told her, you know, thanks, but I'm sort of wrapped up in all things Zodiac at, at the time. So she went on down her rabbit holes in the Golden State Killer case. And then after she passed away, I sort of reflected and felt guilty that I hadn't taken her up on that offer. So I sort of dove into the case and, you know, I knew some different people that were investigators and they opened some doors for me and I became friends with some of the survivors and and victims of D'Angelo's. And that's how I sort of went down that, that path. Do we have an idea of how the Zodiac came up with his name or is it just something random? Well, that's, and that's, sort of the thing we don't really know. He's the one that gave himself that name in, in one of his early letters. He said, this is the Zodiac speaking. And he signed most of his letters with a, a crosshair looking cross circle. And there's a watch that's a Zodiac name brand watch. And it has a crosshair logo as it's sort of as its symbol. So if if you put those together, that seems to me like the most likely place that it came from. But there's all kinds of theories that he was maybe into the astrology and stuff like that. Yeah, and we see things like mathematics, coordinates on maps, astrology. Of course, horoscopes have been famous and popular throughout time, especially in the late 60s. So there's all kinds of thoughts that can be applied to how this individual came up with the name. Obviously, he's going to want to pick something that sounds ominous. He wants to be threatening and terroristic almost in in nature. And so it it almost seems fitting to pick such a vague name, but also something that sounds, sounds a little evil or at least mysterious. Yeah, that's, that's my take on it as well. Now we all know that killers can inspire other killers, or at least they tend to imitate one another on occasion. And as far as the Zodiac goes, some cases that come to mind immediately for me are like son of Sam. I've always kind of thought of him as a Zodiac wannabe, kind of a sloppier dumbed down version of the Zodiac. The phantom killer case out of Texarkana sounds like early Zodiac type stuff. And then just the idea of writing the letters and communicating with law enforcement and the the press, I mean, that takes us all the way back to Jack the Ripper. What do you take, Mike, from any of these other killers out there? What do you think Zodiac took from any of these other killers? 
Well, with the attacks of, of people in some of those areas, like on Lover's Lanes, where the Phantom Killer struck or Son of Sam struck, those are easy opportunities and to find people that aren't paying attention. They're out in isolated areas. They're easy targets. And I think that's perhaps why he searched for people like that. And so I went searching for different cases across the United States with lover's lane scenario attacks. And I, they just started piling up so so many, I couldn't keep track. So that's, that's a trend that's, that's been going on early back as far as back as the early 1900s where people would be attacked. The, the key difference is, is someone like son of Sam or Jack the Ripper sending letters and notes and correspondences. That's very rare. So when Zodiac did that, you know, that was rare. You can go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases in California, and and there were lots of bad guys running around, but most of them didn't want to communicate with police. They wanted to stick to their own their own attacks and, and not give the police anything to work with, whereas Zodiac seemed to crave the press, and I think that actually took over as his main motivation. And, and comparing that to the Golden State Killer case, for example— Joseph D'Angelo didn't really taunt the police or newspapers. He taunted victims because he liked reliving the pain that he inflicted on them. So he would call them years afterwards, but uh, a little bit of a different thrill for him versus Zodiac wanting to see his name in the newspapers. I think that uh, was a key difference. The first confirmed attack for the Zodiac at Lake Herman road was in essence, is success for the killer. He achieved what he set out to, or what we can believe he set out to achieve anyway. He successfully attacked and killed both of the victims and didn't find himself in a situation where there was much of an eyewitness to identify him as the killer, with the exception of one witness saying they, they possibly saw a white vehicle parked near David Faraday's vehicle on that night. That leads us to a similar but slightly different situation at the next confirmed attack at Blue Rock Springs, where he is unsuccessful in the sense that he leaves one of the victims alive. He intended to kill both of them. We know that based off of his phone call. He's calling to report a double murder, not realizing that he left one of the the victims alive, Mike Majot. One thing I found interesting about this attack in particular, variations of stories uh, and, and what went down, how the attack went down, and just the, the couple of events leading up to the two of them being parked at Blue Rock Springs Park. Can you take us through, maybe not necessarily the changing stories or the different versions, but it looked to me, Mike, that most of these different versions are coming from Mike Majot. Is is that correct? And, and what are your feelings on, on the different variations of these stories? Yeah. Mike Majot's story has changed a lot over the years from July, 1969, when it happened till recently, he was featured in a 2007 documentary that came out with the Zodiac movie DVD release. And his story changed quite a bit. In essence, Early on, he said that he had been picked up by Darlene Farron, and they decided to go to Mr. Ed's, a local hangout that was popular with you know most younger people. For whatever reason, Darlene got creeped out while there and decided to drive away and go get some privacy, and they decided to go to Blue Rock Springs Park, which is very dark and Again, it's one of those areas where people might go to hang out, to make out, whatever. Um, and that's where they wound up. Some key things that happened were after they were there for a couple of minutes, some some kids came in through some firecrackers and stayed there, raised hell for about five minutes and then left. But just after that, a car came in and pulled up next to Darlene's car and sort of just sat there and Darlene and Mike had the conversation. Do you know that person? Who is that? And they didn't really know. And after a minute or two, the car drove off. So they sat there listening to the radio talking. And then about five minutes later, a car came back that they Mike 
thinks was the same car, and it came into the parking lot, pulled up directly behind them. Someone got out, shined a bright light into Darlene's car, blinding essentially Darlene and Mike, and then he walked up to Mike's side, and they actually thought it was the police. So they proceeded to start getting their licenses out, and Mike looked up and was shot immediately through the window, and Darlene was shot. Both of them were shot several times. That's been consistent for for the most part. The shooter got back in his car and, and was about to leave, and Mike started flailing around after being shot, and the shooter got back out of the car and fired two more shots into the into Darlene's car, hitting Mike again and Darlene. And then this time he drove away. That's always been consistent. That's what he said early on. But in the in the documentary years later, there's some things that change. He he mentions that they were being chased and pursued from Mr. Ed's at high rates of speed. And that's not what's in the police report. Nothing like that. He says that they just decided to go there instead. Darlene was driving. And then in, early on, they didn't know who the shooter was and when they were having conversation amongst themselves. But then he injects, hey, the name was Richard. She said something about Richard. And if you watch this documentary, it, it's plain to see that he's suffering from maybe mental illness, maybe some kind of addiction. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what he might be suffering from, but I think that's affected his account of what's happened over the last, you know, 50 years. In his initial report, he's saying that the vehicle was very similar to Darlene's. So it would have either been a Chevy Corvair or others have said maybe a Ford Mustang because they would have had similar body type. And he says it was pretty much the same color as Darlene's, maybe a little bit lighter. What are your thoughts on the vehicle description? Well, I think it because it's so dark out there, um, and he's probably his intentions are to make out with Darlene. He probably wasn't paying a lot of attention, and and I think a lot of cars back then looked a lot alike. So, for him not to be able to pinpoint the details of the car, I I totally get that. I understand that, but I think based on what he said, it did have some kind of similar features to Darlene's own car. The thing that jumps off the page to me in regards to the first two attacks, not only are they very close in proximity, I think it was roughly about two miles distance between the first double murder and then the double murder attempt that left Mike Majot alive. When you cross-reference the events of that night, the stories I found, Mike, say that both couples went to Mr. Ed's restaurant and drive-in prior to going and parking. And I mean, that just jumps off the page to me because I'm, I'm sitting there thinking if I'm some dude in my late twenties or however old Zodiac may have been at the time, if you're looking for a car involved in young love, Mr. Ed's makes a perfect sense to, to park there, hang out there in, in the dark hours of a weekend night or a Friday night for that matter. And, find your prey there and follow them to where they end up parked. Yeah, that's that's the happening place back then was Mr. Ed's. You know, there's an interesting connection in that one of the Lake Herman Road witnesses just not long before the shooting on the road that night worked at Mr. Ed's. Um, so there's that connection as well. One thing that's very different about the Blue Rock Springs attack in comparison to the Lake Herman road attack is that the Zodiac then calls the police dispatcher and says, Hey, I just committed a double murder. Here's where you're going to find the kids in a Brown car. And by the way, I killed those kids last Christmas as well. There there's a, a decent gap in time minutes missing there about 20 to 30 minutes based off of are ear witnesses of when the the couple was shot at Blue Rock Springs and when the phone call came in. What are your thoughts on what Zodiac could have been up to during that time frame? I've always found it a bit bizarre. We know he wants to report it or else he wouldn't have called it in, but it doesn't seem like he made a mad dash from the crime scene to the payphone, which would have been, depending on which route you use, roughly 7 to 11 minutes travel time. 
he didn't make a mad dash to get to that payphone. Any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, it's that's one of the most interesting things about that attack because the call is probably at least thirty minutes later, probably closer to forty minutes later. Um, but it's you know rounding it, it's around a half hour. We can say that, and to go that distance, it's it's only a few miles. Um, and the phone booth was at Springs and Tuolumne, which is you know in a more populated section of town, whereas Blue Rock Springs Park is this dark, undeveloped area up out in the Vallejo at the time. So if the Zodiac wanted to get away and make a clean getaway and, and just keep driving, there's unlimited phone booths he could have called from, but yet he called from a phone booth in Vallejo, which is interesting. To me, my, my opinion is, and I try and put myself in the shoes of, of, of Zodiac when he's doing that is that perhaps he would want to get rid of his car, get rid of his gun, stash it because you know, I wouldn't want to be driving around in a car with a gun in there just in case someone saw me. So I was thinking maybe he lived close to that phone booth and perhaps put his car in the yard, put his gun in the house and walk to the phone booth. But there's, you know, again, that's that's speculation. But he certainly could have made it out of Vallejo if if he didn't live in Vallejo and wanted to get away and then called uh, from a different phone booth. Do you think he called police to mimic somebody like Jack the Ripper, or or do you think it was simply because I committed these crimes and because it's stranger on stranger crimes, the police might not make the connection that it was me? Yeah, I think maybe a combination of that. I think. Number one, he wanted the attention. He wanted police to know what he had done. I think it was a way to rub salt in the wounds of these police officers to to say, hey, um, I did this, I'm bragging about it, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. The phone booth was actually not far from the police station, which was interesting. So he might even be able to see police when they finally got the call racing out of there and, and maybe got some kind of thrill from that. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone 
with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. think that he was local to Vallejo because I found it interesting that in the phone call he doesn't just say Blue Rock Springs Park rather he gives directions to find the victims yeah if I, if I had to guess it's it's almost like he didn't know the name of the park yeah uh, he, he does direct them pretty well and if he would have said Blue Rock Springs Park obviously they, they, they would have found it but he gives them specific directions and I, I wonder that could be because Maybe he does live there. He knows the area and he knows how to direct them there easily. But it also could be that he wants him to have no doubt that he did it and he's going to direct them right to the bodies. And at the time, he thinks they're they're going to be dead. But, you know, Mike Mageau survived. And I think he wanted to get them there as soon as possible so he could revel in, in what he had done. And very interesting as well that given Mike Mageau's description of the shooter— you know, when the shooter comes back and then shoots Darlene twice and shoots Mike again two more times, he's able to get a description of what this guy looks like. And if, you know, given what took place in the second attack, we have to believe that the first attack with no survivors likely went down very similar. So based off of that, we can assume that in the description Mike gives us, Zodiac's not using any type of disguise at this point and yet the next attack at Lake Berryessa is going to be significantly different where the guy is disguised from head to toe is this guy is he evolving why is he changing well that would on my part that would be speculation but I think that the most likely reason is he realized after Blue Rock Springs he left eyewitness an eyewitness to the 
the crime. And then the next attack at, at Lake Berryessa, he's attacking during daylight hours. So he's already left the witness. He knows that. And now he's doing an attack during the daytime. So I think maybe to, to keep himself from being identified, if something goes wrong or if a witness goes by, he's got that hood on. And, and another reason it could be just to scare the shit out of the people is attacking because a guy walking up to you with that kind of executioner's hood on and a gun in his hand saying, everything's going to be okay. I, you know, if it was me in that situation, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe him, but he tried to calm them down when he attacked there. And that's what he was wearing. Yeah. I almost feel like it had the mask had two purposes. Like you said, one, it's going to scare them more. And it seems like he's loves to see people's reactions, but also if, if they do survive, they can't identify him. Yeah. I think it, it definitely serves multi purposes and, and I think he was very theatrical. We know that from a lot of the clues. And I think he probably enjoyed making that hood. It had the Zodiac crosshair logo on the on the chest. And he never mentioned, you know, to Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard uh, at Lake Berryessa that he was the Zodiac. It never came up. Um, and, and maybe that's because if something went wrong, he didn't want uh, anyone to know that he was the Zodiac by that point and connect him to another crime. But it was, you know, later determined after he uh, wrote on the side of their car door that sort of changed everything, and, and they knew it was Zodiac. Do you have any thoughts on what the mask was made out of? Or The account varied from, from Brian. He, he said it was made with care. It wasn't just like some plastic bag that someone spray-painted a white circle on. He said that the the crosshair logo was stitched uh very nicely and professionally almost on the front and the hood uh was was made with characters draped over his entire shoulders and, and face and there were uh, clip-on sunglasses that were attached uh, to the to the mask itself so he pointed out that it was definitely made with care it was made um with some kind of professional uh quality it wasn't just some some bag that was had white paint on it or something like that that's very interesting because oftentimes with these serial killers we will find that someone killing in the nature of someone like the zodiac where they're going out and they're killing people in a, a park near the lake or or at lake herman road or at the blue rock springs park they're going out and they're finding their victim and they're killing them out on the streets or out in public in these, you know, uh, secluded areas. Usually that suggests that they cannot kill at home. They cannot abduct people and bring them home, that they don't have privacy, that they don't have their own place. But then everything else that the Zodiac does implies that he does have a certain level of privacy. The making the mask in disguise with care, that's something that took time. The putting together the ciphers and the letters that he would later send, that takes time. And and, and it takes, especially with the ciphers and the, the letters, I've seen it suggested that it, he probably had what he considered to be some type of workshop that maybe... Maybe if he did live with other people, he had to keep under lock and key or, or guarded very tightly. But it's it's weird, the contrast between the two natures of the beast, if you will. I've often thought about that, but I, I also wonder if it's just simply location. A lot of those housing developments in California, you know, where they these little crackerjack sized houses and they had really small yards. So it could be possible where he's going, well, I have privacy with inside my house, but I don't have privacy on the outside because the houses are so close together. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And in one of his letters, he did mention uh, storing something in his basement. And police seized on that and thought maybe that's a clue because uh, most houses in the Bay Area did not have basements. So they thought maybe he had a little workshop down there, some place where he could get away from anyone else in the house and, and tinker around down there. But then again, 
Zodiac wasn't always honest in his letters, so it could have been an attempt at misdirection. Maybe he didn't have a basement, but that was something police were interested in. And I think it, it also goes into what kind of killer he was, whereas you know, someone like a Golden State killer wants to spend time with his victims, stay there, terrorize them, stretch it out as long as possible, get them alone. The Zodiac never had an interest in that kind of activity. He wanted to attack quickly and get out. So I think perhaps he never had an intention of bringing them back to his house or something like that. I think he was more of a of a thrill killer that got a thrill out of the attack itself. And then later on reliving it, I think that gave him some satisfaction. Yeah, that's very interesting because, yes, I think he was a thrill killer, but I also think he executed the first murder so easily that by maybe contacting the police, it was another rush because it was another point in the crime where he could get caught. Yeah, and he he was about all about cat and mouse activity with police and, and getting them to engage with him and there's some evidence that he was inspired by comic books and movies like The Most Dangerous Game. And I think he thought of himself as this villain or made himself into this this villain called Zodiac. And I think part of the, the fun for him, part of the thrill from him was that interaction with police. I mean, his murders, confirmed murders anyhow, they range from December 68 until October of 69. But then he's got a letter writing campaign that stretches until 1974. So he, at some point, it seemed like the thrill of uh, the interaction with the police and the press was his letter writing and not so much the murders. It seemed like he got some kind of pleasure out of out of that part of it. Could you list some of these comic books you think the Zodiac was reading? Yeah, there's there's one called, uh, and it's a Tim Holt comic book. And, and to give you a little bit of a backstory, he sent a Halloween card to reporter Paul Avery. And in that card, it was written by fire, by uh, rope. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. But it was laid out in, in, in a specific image. And there's a comic book by Tim Holt. It's a DC Comics one. And I don't remember the title of it, but it's if, if you Google it, you'll find it. And there's a wheel on it. And death by fire, death by knife, death by gun, death by rope. It's the same things mentioned in um, the the card to Avery. So from that, it's almost definite that's where he had to have got that from. When you base that, when you base on some of the other clues, he mentioned uh, the short story, The Most Dangerous Game. He makes references to theatrical stuff like the Mikado. Um, so it seems like he was in his own fantasy world. Um, and this this person that he created, this persona, I, I really think he he wanted to be some kind of arch villain or be known as, as one. Yeah. I just looked up the Tim Holt comic. So it looks like it's, it's actually titled Tim Holt. I think he's supposed to be maybe the hero and it's issue number 30, according to what I found, but it's, you're right. It's the, you have a man there and I guess his name is red mask. He's tied up and there's a wheel of chance behind him. And it's, as you said, death by gun, death by knife, death by rope and yeah it's very very theatrical very zodiac like and it appears that this comic may have some value because it has some linkage to uh the zodiac name well and also around that time period there was a lot of comics that were you know these detective comics and that's where we eventually get batman from i wonder if there's other comics that he was influenced by that people just haven't got the references yet. Yeah, that could definitely be the case. And I, I think at, on the very least we can tell that he's into fantasy stuff, you know, between the theater and the, the comic books he's got, perhaps he's living in a, uh, a fantasy world. You know, when, when I, I look at it as when 
most of these victims or young couples being attacked, they're out enjoying each other's company, making out, doing whatever those couples do. He's home reading comic books, and, and this is his world. Uh, so he goes out and strikes against those people that are doing the things that he wishes he could do. Yeah, it's very, and the captain and I were talking about this earlier, it's very comic book theatrical like with the Zodiac. He's given himself this name, the Zodiac. He's given himself a logo, the crosshairs. And then he's supplying all these threats to via the uh, newspapers and such. And then the costume at Lake Berryessa, it's almost, I mean, that's, that's what a superhero supervillain is. The, the name, the logo, the costume. Now, with, you had mentioned the confirmed five, and there's a lot of suspicion that there are other attacks, and we can get into that later. But lay down for us why these are the confirmed five murders of the Zodiac Killer. They're they're linked by mo and by handwriting. There's some latent fingerprints along the way. There's some palm prints on some of the letters, but police really haven't said publicly if any of those prints from various scenes or various letters match each other. So we know that they're linked by, by handwriting and by the MO, you know, in, in Lake Herman road, once he claims responsibility for that, along with uh, the July 4th attack, you know, he, we have a handwritten letter. He's detailing both crimes. He's accurately describing both crime scenes so those two are linked together. Then when you get to Lake Berryessa, you know, he's doesn't say he's Zodiac, but he's wearing a Zodiac cross symbol on his outfit. And as he flees the scene, he takes the time to write a taunting message on Brian Hartnell's door. And it has the Zodiac symbol and the writing matches the writing in the letters. And then we move forward to the murder of Paul Stein, which is, the most unlike the first sets of crimes. Here we have another letter. So the handwriting again matches the previous ones. This time he actually sent a piece of a bloody shirt to the press along with the letter. So, you know, he's confirming that, yes, I killed him. Here's a piece of his bloody shirt. They verified it was. So you have all of these different letters and the MO of calling uh, and, and writing to the press, linking everything here. Not like we have a DNA like we would have today uh, or clear-cut fingerprints, um, but all of this stuff combined tells them that the same person was at all of these different scenes and is responsible for all these crimes. Do you have a ballpark number of crimes that you think the Zodiac is responsible for, or do you think these five are the only signature crimes from the Zodiac? Well, there's crimes that he definitely hinted at that he was involved in, and I think he had a habit of trying to catch uh, attention for other cases to, to prop himself up and uh, make it look like he was even more of a, a villain than he actually was. You know, I try not to wander too far out of the, the, the five murder victims we know of, but, you know, I do look at some earlier crimes uh, in that area and then... In Southern California, especially, there's some earlier crimes that could definitely be him. But there's so many bad guys running around in California at the time. There's so much crime that it's hard to to go off because then you start looking at, well, this crime looks like Zodiac, and this one has some aspects. Um, so I, I try to stick with the ones that have the closest MO to, to what we know Zodiac did. What are your thoughts on Zodiac mentioning Deer Lodge, Montana, to the victims at Lake Berryessa. I think that's a, a really important clue. But the, the thing I need to point out is is that Deer Lodge is not necessarily what he said. Brian obviously was shaken up. He was scared. He was badly wounded. Um, so he, when he was telling police word by word the conversation. He said it was something like a two-word name in Montana, like, and he's trying to, you know, come up with ideas. And someone suggested Deer Lodge, Montana, and he said, "Yeah, that might be it." But there's there's been reports that it might have been a farm lodge, it could have been a red lodge, uh, 
something with two words in the, in the name of, of the town. So it's while most people settled on it being Deer Lodge, it's not 100% proof that he did say Deer Lodge. But, you know, there were no escaped prisoners, as the story that he gave them at the time, from Deer Lodge at that time. So I think it's it could have been just, hey, I'm going to tell these people a story about a something I read three years ago about some kind of escape and I'll tell them, you know, just to calm them down and get them to cooperate. And, and what he told them worked and they cooperated. Yeah. Some suspect that Zodiac was a bit of a master of misdirection and therefore Deer Lodge, Montana, or saying just the state of Montana in general would be another example that he might be trying to misdirect people. Should somebody survive? Because what Zodiac has learned about himself by the time of the Lake Berryessa attack is that he's not perfect, that he did leave a survivor, a surviving victim in his second confirmed attack with Mike Majot surviving that attack. And to, let's take that a step further because there's some thought too, that with the Brown car, because Vallejo police said, they actively said this in the newspapers at the time, they gave a, a brief description of a, a young white man and a brown vehicle that they were looking for at the time. And he later, Zodiac later in a letter, confirms this brown car saying, oh, well, yeah, somebody saw me in this pay phone when, the, when I hung up the, the phone, the the phone rang and this drew his attention to me. And that's when this witness saw me in the payphone and saw my Brown car. And I love the idea of maybe, as you pointed out, it's dark. Mike Majot has just been shot several times. He's traumatized. Maybe he doesn't know the color of the vehicle. Couldn't see it. And maybe Zodiac loves this and goes, Oh, they're looking for a, uh, a white guy in his late 20s in a brown car? Oh, well, I'll confirm for them that I have a brown car when, in fact, I, I do not. Yeah, uh, what what perfect way to divert the police and get them looking kind of totally blind alley. And he and why would you describe the witness that, that saw you? He says that there was a, a, a black man that was shabbily dressed, saw him in the phone booth. They never identified anyone that reported seeing someone in that phone booth, but... It sounds to me like that could easily be, I'm going to make this fake witness up so they're spinning their wheels looking for this witness that doesn't exist. I don't know why any anyone that had just killed or thought he killed two people would volunteer that information willingly. I always thought, thought too, given the both of the first attacks took place on a Friday night in or around Vallejo, again, only separated by about two miles of distance or so, I always thought that that, in a sense was a bit of misdirection as well that he, he thought that he may have found the perfect place to kill. It worked out the first time. Let's kill there again. Now people think that I'm local to Vallejo. And that's why I always felt like he purposely made the call from a Vallejo payphone, yet didn't know the name of the park where, where he shot the two kids. It, it seemed to me, this is the early stages of, some of this misdirection. Yeah, it, it definitely could be that. And I, I sort of go the other direction. I sort of go with you know, a lot of killers start out close to home and then expand from there. You know, you've got someone mentioning these two areas that I'm going to attack. They're so close together, like, like you're saying, and then call from the, the, the phone booth in the same town. What better way to get people looking in Vallejo? One thing that's interesting is just about all of the letters Zodiac mailed were postmarked on weekdays from San Francisco. And and most of his attacks, with the exception of Paul Stein, were on weekends outside of San Francisco. So it, does he live in San Francisco and he hunts on the weekends in Vallejo or is it the reverse? Does he live in Vallejo and he's working in San Francisco during the week. I, I think one of the two is is the most likely scenario. If you guys had to bet, would you bet that Zodiac is single and living alone? Or do you think 
uh, Zodiac is married. I wrestle with that, uh, especially in the wake of the Golden State Killer case. I, you know, I never thought the Golden State Killer was going to be a cop. I never thought he would have a wife and kids. So that sort of has made me go back and forth on the fence with Zodiac. I, I would tend to think that he's a loner that wants to be out with a girl on a date in a, in a lover's lane parked in a car, but he's not, he's the one stalking those couples and attacking them. So I tend to think that he, he was one of those loner types that didn't have successful relationships. But again, after seeing what happened with the golden state killer case, nothing would surprise me. He could have had a, a big family and a, a nice job and everything else. Well, I think, uh, I think Mike is right. And I think that we can see some of that in his crimes itself. We we definitely see overkill in the women, and that's why we have more female victims, murder victims, and we have two situations where he attacks a couple and, and twice a male victim survives. So the female is definitely the receiving the brunt of his anger in those attacks. And as Mike is pointing out, he is, he's, he's attacking and killing essentially what he envies young love parked in a car somewhere is what he would have liked to have been doing when he was a teenager or in his early twenties, he wasn't capable or wasn't successful in that realm. And so he, this is, this is his lesson to you. Uh, general public, this is what you get when you park out in the middle of nowhere in the dark at night in these lovers lanes. This is, this is what you get. This is the lesson to be learned. Don't be out there at night. They're achieving something he wished to achieve, but did not. And then when you take it to how is he living, who may be living with, I think that he probably had some brief relationships with women and they, they failed and didn't work out. And that only added to his anger toward the, the female gender. And I think that a lot of his actions, at least once we get past the double homicide or I'm sorry, the, the second attack at blue rock Springs. So this would be now we're, we're at July 4th, 1969. I think after this point, he, he has a certain level of privacy. He has a certain, uh, ability to spend a lot of time working on these letters, these ciphers, the costume that he built for Lake Berryessa. So he has time. Now that may mean maybe he lived with his mom alone and, and had the run of the house for most of the time. But yeah, I think that's, what's interesting about the makeup of of this guy. I think he had some level of privacy and maybe that's because he was unsuccessful with, with women or traditional type relationships. Well, and since you bring that up, my question, do you put a Zodiac, uh, younger or older than 30? I can say with all confidence today, he's older than 30. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just saying because it, it seems to me like somebody that, you know, any friend of mine or or people I've talked to that, you know, look back on high school and it wasn't the best time in their life. Normally, by the time they're 30, they're they're over that and they could really care less. They don't hold a lot of resentment towards that. It's, that's why I always wondered is, is Zodiac in like mid 20s or late 20s and he's still uh, angry about his unsuccessful attempts with women. Well, you have to be an extremely angry individual to do any of the things that he's doing. So he's he's not normal like the normal people that you just discussed. He he's not going to get over any of this. And that's obvious from his crimes. So with with the in regards to his age, one we have several crimes where he's described as being in his 20s, late 20s, maybe 25 to 35. This is from surviving victims and from uh, the phone calls he made where the dispatchers are saying he sounded to be of this age, 25 to 35. Mike, uh, you, t you take it from there. Yeah, I, I know that the Napa dispatcher, uh, the police officer that took the call, 
from him after Lake Berryessa described him as a student's voice, um, uh, someone in their in their early twenties. Brian Hartnell described something in the, along those lines too. Not a real deep, mature voice, but more of a, a, a younger person. But again, people have all kinds of voices, and, and you can't always put a, a a voice with a face when you see it. So we can't always go by that. But then you've got the eyewitnesses, as you talked about, and, and the possibility that Officer Falk uh, saw Zodiac after uh, Paul Stein's murder. There, he thinks he's a little bit older. And it, it's interesting, uh, in, in the sketch that came out of Zodiac after killing Paul Stein, the original estimate and the original sketch was estimating the age to be 25 to 35. And when you, when they amended it, it moved it up from 35 to 45. So I I sort of look at the 25 to 45 window. I know that's a big spread, but I I sort of feel that sometimes some of the things he does is, is very juvenile. Um, I look towards a younger person and, and other times some of the things that he's interested in, seem like they might be more of a, of a mature person. Um, so like the Mikado opera, you know, like, like nowadays I try and compare it. I don't think there's any kids out there today listening to opera. And if the same thing's true back in 1969, I would, I would think that that might be more mature person. So I sort of wrestle myself with, with whether he's uh, younger or older. Yeah. He definitely did some things that come across to me as very immature, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't trust anybody that doesn't use their real name. <laughs> well, it, it Captain brought up a good point, too. He he said that it's almost as if Zodiac's heart wasn't in the actual killing. He, he'd leave before people were actually dead instead of staying there, you know, ensuring they were dead or shooting them in the head. It's almost like he was squeamish about that part. Um, and... I think that goes back to he is playing this villain. He's putting this villain out there. The villain has to have victims. So he's got to do that part, even though he may not be committed to it. But after a while, he realizes, hey, I built this persona up. I built this reputation up. People know I mean business. I'm a killer. I don't even have to kill anyone anymore. Now I can just send letters and I'm going to get the attention I've been craving that I didn't get in my in my everyday life, just by writing letters. Now. Well, there's a good chance he almost got caught in the Paul Stein attack, the taxi cab driver. Yeah, we see a lot of times with serial killers that they take souvenirs from their victims, or like you said, in the Golden State Killer case, he's harassing victims. Zodiac is harassing police officers. It's, he didn't seem to take souvenirs. It's almost like his victims didn't matter so much to him. It, w- it wasn't personal towards the victim. Yeah, there's no real evidence of him taking any kind of souvenirs, taking belongings of the victims. Uh, we don't see any of that, whereas uh, the Golden State Killer would do that kind of stuff. So definitely two kinds of killers, and it, it seems like you know someone like D'Angelo has a, um, a connection, a permanent connection to the victim, whereas Zodiac... Maybe they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he needed to to kill someone to get credit for it. So much more to get to tomorrow. Please join us back here in the garage. And if you need more of the captain and the colonel in your earballs, Check out our bonus show called Off the Record. It's on Stitcher Premium. Thank you to you, Captain. Thank you to Mike for joining us in the garage. You all better join us back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.